This is West Virginia Morning. I'm Teresa Wills. An ordinance that bans camping inside the city limits of Wheeling is coming under fire as many groups feel it is aimed at homeless people, especially without giving them another place to live. There is a process in place for you to request exemptions to specific camps. It's right there in black. So I would say there's not a need to retract this entire ban. That story and more coming up this West Virginia Morning. Support for West Virginia Morning is proudly provided by Luke Frazier. The Mud River has long served as a fishing hub for southern West Virginia. But state health officials now advise residents to limit fish consumption from one of its reservoirs. Jack Walker has the story. The West Virginia Department of Health announced a new fish consumption advisory for Lincoln County's Upper Mud Reservoir on Tuesday. The agency advises residents not to eat sport fish from the reservoir more than once a week. The advisory is in response to an increase in the reservoir's concentration of the mineral contaminant selenium. Selenium is a naturally occurring mineral that is safe in small doses, but regularly consuming fish exposed to it can cause health issues like selenosis. That's a condition linked to nervous system irregularities, fatigue, and hair and nail damage. The Department of Health said its advisory is especially important for children, women of childbearing age, and frequent fish consumers, all of whom are more susceptible to the contaminant. For West Virginia Public Broadcasting, I'm Jack Walker in Charleston. Human trafficking is a problem both nationally and in West Virginia, but there are a lot of misconceptions about it as well. A special training today will help sort through the fog. Eric Douglas has the story. U.S. Attorneys Will Thompson and William Elenfeld will jointly host a human trafficking training event on Thursday from 8.30 a.m. to 11.30 at locations in Charleston and Wheeling as well as virtually. The joint training event is called Human Trafficking, Facts, Fiction, and Federal Law. It will feature participation by the Federal Bureau of Investigation Pittsburgh Division, the West Virginia Fusion Center, the West Virginia Foundation for Rape Information and Services, the West Virginia Child Advocacy Network, and Angie Kahn, a human trafficking survivor, victim advocate, and founder of She Who Dares Consulting, LLC. For more information on how to attend, call 304-234-7743 or visit our website at wvpublic.org. For West Virginia Public Broadcasting, I'm Eric Douglas in Charleston. For the legislature today, Emily Rice sat down with Delegate Amy Summers, a Republican from Taylor County, and Senator Charles Trump, a Republican from Morgan County, to discuss why the Department of Health and Human Resources was broken up into three separate agencies and how it's going. Tell me about the work that you and your colleagues did last year to split the agency. I've been serving for the last 10 years, and we have found that the department size has made it very difficult to get to the heart of issues. So we decided to split that department, it's been this way over 30 years, into three specific departments that deal with different issues. So Department of Health, Department of Human Services, and Department of Health Facilities. And in those different departments, facilities, the state of West Virginia owns many facilities, psych hospitals, some long-term care facilities, Welch Hospital. That department can deal specifically with those eight, with those entities that we own and work to improve problems that we're having. You hear a lot of issues at some of the mental, mental 
um, the site facilities. And then Department of Health dealing strictly with health issues and Human Services dealing with a lot of services that our people need uh, to help them do well in life. Yeah, absolutely. And Senator Trump, you sponsored a version of House Bill 2006 last year um, in the Senate. I wanted to talk about any differences between that bill and the one that passed. And was there anything in that bill that you would have liked to see come to fruition? Well, I'll say this. Uh, first of all, thank you for uh, having us, Emily. It's great, great to be here. Uh, Amy explained, excuse me, Delegate Chairman, Chairwoman Summers explained very well uh, the, the reason that it, many legislators uh, in both houses came to the conclusion that it would uh, enhance services to the citizens of the state if we uh, divided what was an enormous, is an enormous uh, agency of state government into component parts. Uh, the, the breadth of its mission as a single entity uh, is it's too much to have uh, cobbled together uh, in one cabinet secretary's position. And so uh, the House bill uh, that we ended up passing uh, was uh, an excellent bill, in my opinion. And uh, I don't think there was anything in the bill that I have worked on that, uh, that we ultimately failed to include. Now, we, we all know as we move forward, we're going to have uh, lots of adjustments to make. Uh, but I think we're off to a good start based on the House bill that uh, Delegate Summers worked so hard on and members of both houses did. And uh, I'm hopeful that over the course and fullness of time, we'll see improvements uh, in the delivery of services to the people of West Virginia as a result of making those changes. Yeah, absolutely. And so, Delegate Summers, um, where we are now with the split, Obviously, we have three separate agencies, but is the split going at a pace that you're happy with? Yeah, it's actually effective January 1, okay. and so, but we allowed in our bill that the House and Senate worked on that reorganization bill together, and so we had just companion bills um, last year. But, um, get what I was going to tell you. Yeah. Um, um, the where we are with the split now. Oh, okay, yes, sorry. Yeah. So the new secretaries in the bill, we allowed them to become acting secretaries this summer. So July 1, they've been able to get their feet wet and figure out what things they need to do. Now they are they are secretaries starting January 1. So this is where we dealt with the structure of DHHR, the old DHHR. Our next steps are to get involved in the function of that. And you will start to see bills this session that deal with the function and how things are working. And then in time, when we've established changes to the function, then we will really be able to get to the heart of the budget mm -hmm. of all of these different agencies. Okay. And one of those bills um, actually passed the House today, one of those reorganization bills, the renaming of the DHHR, that's one of yours. Could you tell us a little bit about that? That's really just name changes, yeah. getting all of the names correct in the budget. But the most important bill that we've passed out of my committee so far, let me make sure I tell you the right number, is House Bill 4595. And that deals with changing the Legislative Oversight Commission on Health and Human Resource Accountability. That deals with changing some of the function of that committee. 
That was Delegate Amy Summers and Senator Charles Trump speaking with health reporter Emily Rice about splitting up the DHHR. Visit our website to hear the rest of that conversation and tune in nightly at 6 p.m. Monday through Friday for the legislature today. This is West Virginia Morning. I'm Teresa Wills. It's 752. Winter storm warnings and advisories in effect beginning tonight through Saturday morning. Today, mostly cloudy, a chance of snow this afternoon with highs in the 30s. Snow likely overnight with lows in the 20s. And snow tomorrow with gusty wind, highs in the 20s and 30s. Support for WVPB is provided by Ziegler & Ziegler, attorneys in Hinton. Marking 50 years of providing legal services for the people, businesses, nonprofits, and public agencies of West Virginia. new camping ban went into effect in Wheeling this month, but as Chris Schultz reports, advocates for the unhoused community are pushing back. In November, the Wheeling City Council voted 5-2 to two to enact a camping ban on public property in the city, punishable by a fine of up to $500. The City Council once again discussed the ordinance at their Tuesday meeting and its potential impact on some five encampments where anywhere from 10 to 30 people shelter. Several council members highlighted a clause that gives the city manager discretion to exempt certain camps from the ban. Council member Ben Seidler said the city was working towards the goal of having one managed camp and did not see the need to do away with the entire ordinance. There is a process in place for you to request exemptions to specific camps. It's right there in black and white. So I would say there's not a need to retract this entire ban. He asked city manager Robert Heron if any formal requests for exemptions had been made for any of the campsites within city limits. Heron replied he had not received any. The discussion, I think, uh, has focused on a managed camp and the rules and regulations associated with a long-term camp. And I'm going to be uh, open to short-term exemptions to the camping ban as long as, you know, everyone recognizes that I have the authority to do that. Councilmember Rosemary Ketchum, who along with Mayor Glenn Elliott voted against the camping ban, pointed out that the ordinance does not provide a process for the general public to request an exemption, only the authority of the city manager to exempt specific sites. City council members say the ordinance is necessary for public safety and hygiene, but advocates for the homeless like Dr. William Mercer say the ordinance just criminalizes poverty and addiction. I wish we would quick look at them as criminals. They have a disease. It's an illness uh, when you're addicted. It's treated like that. Mercer provides street medicine to the city's unhoused with Project Hope. He spoke at Tuesday's meeting on behalf of more than 30 service providers to ask the city to pause the ordinance and ultimately repeal it in favor of other options, such as creating individual encampment plans. It's all about communication. I'm hoping we can discuss this and be a model. I I think this individual encampment plan is huge. Such alternative approaches recognize the reality that experiencing homelessness is a complex issue that affects each individual differently. In previous meetings, council members had expressed hope that the camping ban would coincide with the opening of the city's winter-free shelter. But Mercer says shelters cannot accommodate everyone. 
both due to capacity as well as individual conditions like paranoid schizophrenia. He says that since opening, the 50-bed shelter has served 120 individuals. With temperatures staying stubbornly below freezing even during the day and snow and ice on the ground, it's just not enough protection. No, we don't have enough beds. The problem with the shelters are you got to be out from 8 o'clock in the morning, 8 at night. Mercer does credit the city for the efforts it continues to make to help those experiencing homelessness, like creating a daytime warming shelter where individuals can access health and other community resources. The ordinance has drawn heavy public criticism since it was first proposed in October. The American Public Health Association, of which Mercer is a member, has put out a white paper stating that, quote, forced removals or displacement of encampments endanger the health and well-being of people experiencing unsheltered homelessness and impair access to safe, stable housing or shelter. Others believe such bans and forced removals are unconstitutional. On Friday, the American Civil Liberties Union of West Virginia issued a warning that they would sue if the city did not pause the camping ban over the next 96 hours. After no such action was taken at Tuesday's council meeting, the ACLU filed suit in the Northern District of West Virginia. Aubrey Sparks is the legal director of ACLU-WV. She says the ban makes certain facets of just being a person such as eating, sleeping, or storing items illegal outdoors. The reason we think that is unconstitutional is because you can't say that someone, their status is illegal. You have to say that an action they're taking is illegal. And so, so long as there are fewer beds and shelters in Wheeling than there are people experiencing homelessness, then some number of people are going to have to sleep outside every night, and therefore they're going to be in violation of the ban, and it's not going to be a choice on their part. The ACLU's suit is seeking an injunction, as well as declaratory relief, meaning they are asking the court to find that the ban and forced removals are an unconstitutional practice. Sparks says legal precedent both in West Virginia and across the country is in their favor, but the exemption clause does provide the city with an avenue towards constitutionality. We're not sure what the city of Wheeling plans to do in terms of this new process that they've created for considering exemptions in terms of their potential destruction of camps. There's a lot up in the air right now. The city could begin conducting sweeps and removals of encampments as soon as this week, although Mercer and others do not believe that will happen. For West Virginia Public Broadcasting, I'm Chris Schultz in Morgantown. West Virginia Morning is a production of West Virginia Public Broadcasting, which is solely responsible for its content. You can keep up with the latest West Virginia news throughout the day on our website, wvpublic.org. Support for our news bureaus comes from Shepherd University. West Virginia Morning is produced with help from Bill Lynch, Brianna Heaney, Chris Schultz, Curtis Tate, Emily Rice, Eric Douglas, Jack Walker, Liz McCormick, and Randy Yowie. Eric Douglas is our news director, and he produced today's show. I'm your host, Teresa Wills. This is West Virginia Morning.